You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Greetings and welcome to Domecast, the news and observer and NC Insider politics podcast. I'm Dawn Vaughn here with Danielle Battaglia, Lucille Sherman, Will Doran, and Colin Campbell. And today we're talking about reopening and a sign that we are getting closer to life going back to normal is that politicians aren't quite as um, rainbows and unicorns with each other as they were maybe a month ago. Um, So they have differing views on when and how we should reopen, especially when you look at our neighboring states. Um, And as our listeners, who I'm sure pay attention, the state legislature know and they arrived was also the day of a reopen protest. Um, this is a group of people who have different individual ideas, it seems like, for um, what kind of reopening they want, and a lot of it connected to businesses and um, everyone that's unemployed. Will uh, saw some of the protesters that first day and has also been covering unemployment, and we're at over a million claims. Or How many people are unemployed in North Carolina? So there have been uh, well over a million claims, although that doesn't necessarily mean over a million people, uh, you know, because some people might have had more than one claim. Regardless, that's a huge, huge chunk of the state workforce. Um, You know, we we only have around 5 million people in the state labor force. So, you know, whether it's 800,000 or 900,000 or a million, whatever it might be, you know, I mean, that's 15 to 20% of all of the workers in the state. And it is steady. I mean, you know, they've been getting the same number of people filing new claims every day, you know, this week as they were in late March when we first shut down the restaurants. Um, So, you know, it really hasn't let up. It's just this constant drumbeat of people losing their jobs. And you've, you know, seen that reflected a little bit in the protests. Um, Should note, obviously, that every, you know, poll that has come out about this has found that a vast majority of North Carolinians don't really agree with the reopen protesters. Most people uh, say that they support the way that Cooper has been handling this. Uh, Even uh, a decent number of Republicans are saying that, you know, Roy Cooper, Democratic governor, is doing a good job on handling this. However, uh, that does not mean that everybody agrees with him. Uh, You know, we've seen these these protests. They've been kind of waning in popularity. But we'll see when the legislature gets back into session. All the protests have been at the legislative building. Um, And so when they come back to to do whatever they're going to do next, uh, whether that's, you know, work on more relief bills or just, you know, the regular politics of the year, uh, you know, we'll see if the the protests really get back up to speed there. I talked to to Mark Robinson, the lieutenant governor candidate, uh, Republican lieutenant governor candidate, who has been at a few of these protests. Gosh, few weeks ago, I spoke with him and he said he was kind of surprised that, you know, it wasn't just a bunch of Trump supporters out there, which was what he was maybe expecting. It was, you know, he, he met some Democrats out there too. Um, we just wanted to get back to work. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, they've, they've definitely been waning in popularity, but we'll, we'll see what happens when the legislature comes back in session. It seems like the split even is just like within like a week or a matter of weeks of who wants what. Um, Dan Forrest, Lieutenant Governor, He's running against Cooper. Um, obviously, he's Cooper's opponent, so his opponent isn't going to say everything Cooper's doing is great. You know, he asked even if he didn't disagree. You know, he would kind of need to disagree if you're uh, an opponent. And a lot of uh, was kind of questioning of 
you know, what you're basing things off of and where is your plan? And then Cooper's like, okay, here's my plan. And then now kind of pushing more and, and, and Forrest has said that, or through a spokesperson that he wasn't at these protests, but has met with the reopen protesters and understands, you know, their concerns. And um, we had a fact check today by Elizabeth Thompson, who was our politics intern um, last summer. And she um, looked into this claim of, you know, is the death rate or suicide rate going to change depending on unemployment? And um, it's really good at showing that there are a lot of different things at play, um, even traffic and like how there's less people on the road when less people are working. Um, but then, of course, the um, all the negative things to mental health, too, when you can't pay your bills and, and everything else that's going on. Um, so we've got also um, Senate Leader Berger, who's Republican, as I'm sure listeners already know. Um, so he's pushing back, and Senator Rabin uh, is also Republican about wanting these barber shops and hair salons to open sooner than later because other states have started doing that. Virginia is a little bit slower than us, except for they're I guess like a week behind as far as some restrictions, but there some of the lifts are a little looser, and that's another Northam is a Democrat where the other states that surround us are run by Republicans. So Colin and, and Danielle, with what you guys have seen with like both chambers, where do you think they are as far as their, their patience with, you know, still wanting to um, agree generally with safety with Cooper, but also this push from, um, I mean, it, whether it's their own opinions or not, but they're, um, they're pushed from constituents who are like, you know, we want to get back to work. We want to get our haircut or whatever else. Yeah, it seems like, you know, initially, you know, if you look back to the start of this whole thing, everyone seemed like they're on the same page during the process of shutting everything down. Uh, you started to see two or three weeks ago, uh, Berger and Moore pushing more on the transparency angle. They wanted the Cooper administration to release more data, release more information about what their plan was. Um, and now that there seems to be a fairly relatively coherent, uh, at least, plan for what's going to happen when going forward. Um, the concern is that it's, uh, they think it's happening all too slowly. And it may be, you know, if phase two really starts, um, as Cooper says, it, it will if the numbers keep on track and we don't have a huge spike on phase one, uh, you know, a week from Friday, then that's a, not a huge discrepancy between uh, Phil Berger and, and other Republicans coming out today and saying, you know, we think hair salons and barber shops and nail salons have the ability to safely open now versus uh, waiting some time because um, it really isn't a huge difference. But um, certainly you're, you're seeing the um, same uh, power dynamics, the partisan dynamics uh, at a national level uh, trickling down to the local level to where it really is going to be a, a back and forth about everything. And, and with lawmakers coming back on Monday, you almost have to wonder whether we're going to see what we've seen in some other states where the governors of different parties in the legislature, uh, where there's some legislation to change or undo some of the executive orders that the other party doesn't like. Uh, of course, if that happens here, uh, the governor probably vetoes it. The Democrats are pretty good about standing behind him, so it wouldn't actually have any effect, but certainly would, would poke the bear and uh, create the um, partisan turmoil over when to reopen uh, even a little bit more than it is already. So next week, I mean, it's not just the legislature, as far as we know, is coming back, or at least committees will. Um, but the end of next week, um, next week, you know, as we're recording this, we're talking about the week of the 18th. Uh, the 22nd would be if, um, assuming Cooper 
sticks to that date, the lifting of restrictions and um, even more going into phase two. And um, DHHS Secretary Cohen has said multiple times that unlike other states, um, North Carolina never had this big peak. So it's just kind of this general leveling out. So Lucille, like you've been paying attention to all of like where we are on these benchmarks. Do you think that it's going to stick to that? And, and what are their options, both, you know, using this data and science and then also the political side of it, if it doesn't look like what they um, want it to? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, first, I should say, for the most part, I think the state is meeting benchmarks set out or pretty close. There are seven, which range from everything from, you know, the number of COVID-like cases we're seeing. So maybe people who didn't test positive, but people showing up with COVID-like symptoms um, in the hospital to, you know, do we have a 30-day supply of PPE on hand? Um, and so we're doing pretty well. Um, they're still ramping up their contact tracing, um, still trying to ramp up their PPE supply, which again, if we sort of taper off in cases, maybe that won't be as important. Um, and the number of daily positive cases last I checked has sort of been up in, or the lab confirmed cases over 14 days has sort of been up and down a little bit. Um, so I think over time, especially in the next few weeks, as we continue slowly reopening, we'll sort of see what effect this has had. Um, but Cooper has said that if, you know, for some reason we didn't meet in time um, all of the benchmarks for phase two, he could say, never mind, we're staying in phase one, or we could also go backwards. There's lots of room for him to sort of readjust um, if anything wacky happens. So we'll see. I do want to add though, since I've been sort of looking at these numbers for a very long time now, um, they're so squishy. Um, and so the state has gotten better, you know, about numbers as we've gone more and more deeper into this pandemic, but some of the numbers aren't entirely reliable. You know, the guidelines are still that if you don't have really extreme symptoms, stay home, don't get a test. Um, and so I think that's really important to note as we're looking at these numbers, we have to remember that there's some margin of error in them as well. And if I can uh, jump in on something you were just saying, Lucille, about, you know, kind of the, the possibility of, you know, moving between the phases and, you know, kind of relying on the data to determine exactly when that happens. One thing that we're starting to see a push for um, that I've really heard, especially out of Eastern North Carolina, is places that want to kind of have a regional reopening where they're maybe allowed to move a little bit faster than the whole rest of the state. Um, this has started to get uh, you know, picked up by a lot of uh, Republican politicians as well. Um, Cooper, for, uh, for what it's worth, has said that he's open to this idea, but that for right now it's still too soon, that the, the health data still isn't really there. But I've talked to a couple different senators uh, who represent uh, pretty, you know, big chunks of eastern North Carolina who say this is something their constituents want. You know, they think that, um, you know, since they're in rural areas that they're maybe not as affected by COVID as in the urban areas. Um, Lucille, from looking at the, the data like you've been doing for us constantly, how, how does that stack up? I mean, are, are rural areas for the most part kind of less hard hit than the urban areas or? 
I would say it really depends if there's a congregate living setting of some kind in the area or a meatpacking plant. So most of the rural areas, we still have one county that doesn't have a case, which is pretty impressive. Again, I don't totally trust the numbers 100%, but um, I think in a lot of smaller or more rural counties, we are seeing a smaller number of cases, but there are exceptions to that. You know, if there's a nursing home outbreak or if there's a meatpacking plant nearby or things like that, there can be a high number of cases. Um, Siler City is the home of one meatpacking plant, and they have, I think, the highest per capita rate of cases um, in any <laughs> zip code in the state, um, which is which is really big. Um, and then my other thought is, I wonder, and maybe Dawn, you can speak to this, but especially with border counties, how much will other states deciding to reopen really affect us. So yeah, if these eastern counties stay closed down or if any border counties decide to stay closed, how much will other states reopening affect that? One of the very first questions when we first started covering this, I had heard from a reader because, you know, all of our or most especially our statewide work at the News and Observer appears in the Charlotte Observer too most of the time was that they, you know, if you live and work in South Carolina versus North Carolina and what should you follow? And this was even before statewide orders. So I think it's, I mean, the whole Mecklenburg area probably has, I don't know, like if, you know, if it's depending on how many people live, you know, in a different part of the state or going to a different or going to the other state to get a haircut or whatever, how many people actually did that um, in Georgia, maybe, you know, um, and there, of course, we can track that with, um, and there's been some data with cell phones, which is, a little scary big brotherish, but we also like, you know, publicize our movements too. <laughs> so we're both being tracked and telling people when we're, when we're going places too. Um, but I think something which you were saying, um, and Will too, about this whole regional versus the state. And if maybe, so phase two, let's say that starts May 22nd. And then I think Cooper said initially before the phases started that the next one would be four to six weeks maybe. So we're looking like end of July, end of July. And if that becomes a regional decision, that would save him from having to say something like, oh, I don't want the RNC to happen in Charlotte um, at the end of August, which is a big question mark there. And, and I don't know how well that would go over with a Democrat governor saying that. Um, so, but leaving that decision up to Charlotte is, you know, both uh, I could imagine like has multiple factors of why of why that would be but even like this county where what's the county that doesn't have a case yet where what part of the state is it in it's avery county i am new to north carolina what part of the state is that everyone <laughs> that is um that is just southwest of boone all right will with the uh where things are there's 100 counties and even those of us that have lived here for a while still don't know so I don't know where all the a lot of ski resorts are up there, so I'm actually kind of surprised that that hasn't attracted people who have vacation homes and are bringing COVID from other parts of the country. But somehow they've managed to stay okay and um, not have any cases. So so good on them and the fun fun named communities like Banner Elk and Elk Park that make up that county. Yeah, <laughs> my. Uh, my son did a project once on this. Um, there's a, something called the Woolly Worm Festival in Banner Elk. So I know a lot about Banner Elk because of that. It's <laughs> so I always wanted to go listeners. to that festival. <laughs> That's cute. I know a lot about the Woolly Worm too. <laughs> from that. 
Um, and in Durham, there's the um, Hornworm Festival at Duke Homestead, <laughs> the Tobacco and Harvest Hornworm Festival or something. But um, re related, Durham is one of those areas that has um, much stricter guidelines. And Mayor Shul just said this week that they're going to extend their strict stay-at-home order and require masks. So that could be something that we see um, where there's flexibility there, where there are places with like pretty... Um, I guess, higher outbreaks and more serious outbreaks? What do you think? Um, I should add that I want to quickly plug Durham for being probably one of the best counties when it comes to releasing data. Um, they're about to hit their 1,000th case here pretty soon. So it's really interesting that they're, they might end up being stricter. Um, but they are tracking so many of the same metrics that the state is tracking and putting out a lot more information than a lot of counties are putting out. Um, so that's, I digress, but impo an important note. Durham would be glad to, to hear that. This, the times that I've sat in City Hall and the, the data, the open data people and everything. And um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff and, and they get like way into the weeds on, on every issue. So um, Durham folks, if you're listening, get, make sure you heard that shout out from Lucille. <laughs> and uh, keep those accolades. <laughs> So when we come back to the legislature, um, we're looking at, well, the House has, I didn't cover it um, this week or the House COVID subcommittees or committee working groups are starting to meet already where the Senate really isn't being very transparent. Do we think, Danielle, you, you talked to everybody, um, the entire building, or tried to at least, uh, whether or not they responded. Do you think we're just going to be in for a different version of more of the same or It'll be much more partisan, or do you, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, um, if you look today, they filed a lot of bills today in the Senate. Um, nothing that I'm seeing that is huge or very COVID-related, so I'm not sure what they're looking to do. Um, talking with the different senators, I called all 50 of them. I want to say probably 20-ish maybe contacted me back. And um, they don't know what they're doing when they come back is the overall gist of what I'm getting from them. Some said that they need to work on the budget, but they need to wait for those numbers to come out. So we're looking at mid-July for that. Some said we would come back for the week and then come back in mid-July to do that. Some said we would be in from now to July. Um, others were telling me that it would be shorter than that. So it seemed like anything is uh, like everything's up in the air to them. They all said that we would know before they would know what we're doing next week. So if only we had a, a magic eight ball um, House and Senate edition, so we knew actually what they were going to do. <laughs> for, for any, I want to know for planning's sake, for my own purposes. <laughs> Will they meet next week? We're, we're talking about reopening. I think reopening the legislature is a in and of itself controversial. I saw some tweets from uh, Representative Deb Butler, one of the Democrats, concerned that uh, she thought the next week was too soon to try to have some semblance of normal session, particularly because she was worried about Republicans refusing to wear masks. On the other hand, I think there's a desire to get the session over with because it's an election year and uh, fundraising rules tend to get relaxed when the legislature's not in session. So there's usually a, a push to get in and out sooner rather than later to go raise money. So we'll, we'll see what wins out in that sort of uh, push-pull of a reopening debate. Yeah, given the number of people who weren't wearing masks, since masks are primarily to protect other people, not yourself, um, it'll be interesting to see. Or actually, I'm a little bit surprised that nobody in the building had it, considering we all pressed the same elevator buttons. Daniel? 
You just uh, got us all COVID by saying that. Um, I do know Senate Democrats really want to come back and talk about Medicaid and um, unemployment. That's two of their big pieces that they felt like weren't addressed in the initial COVID pieces. So that's one thing they say we have to be back next week to address those issues. One quick note on the masks. Um, I've covered the legislature in a couple of other states too. And the mask along party lines um, issue in North Carolina or kind of along party lines is not unique to us. I know in Oklahoma and in other states, um, they're seeing kind of the same thing, which I think is really interesting because, you know, a few weeks ago, we were sort of like seeing a lot of locking arms and singing kumbaya a little bit, I felt. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see, you know, over the coming weeks, what that will look like in terms of partisan partisanship and polarization. I think so too. And, and depending on, um, you know, the last time when we were all there a few weeks ago, just even the masks that were being worn and the gloves that were being worn and the spacing out and everything and not opening the building to the public, uh, if they open it to everybody again and the lobbyists and what that's going to look like and who is at risk in that building and what it, how do they feel about being in that building at risk. I think that last um, House session, Representative uh, Lewis Hawley, who she is the Democratic nominee for lieutenant governor, had asked Speaker Moore, you know, he was saying how it would be, you know, more normal or regular. I can't remember what word he used. And she said, well, what about those of us that are, you know, potentially worried about this or at risk? So it'll be interesting to see what kind of things they put in place and really what their liability is if people are expected to, forced to come into an area without protections, the same way you hear about um, essential workers back when we had that category um, and who's being protected or not. So I guess we'll find out. All right, and next up we'll have headliner of the week. Let's find out who last week's headline winner was and uh, what are four candidates will be for this week when we come back. So looking at last week's poll on Twitter, the most official way you could possibly do a poll, uh, we had coronavirus legislation was our winner at 34%. So that was Will's pick. Congrats to him on uh, picking the thing that everyone thought was important. Uh, but uh, murder hornets were right behind the legislation at 31%. A proposed state shrub got 22 and face masks got 12%. So less love for, for face masks on that. So... Uh, that means with Will winning last week, he sits out this round. Um, and I guess we can see what people have got to uh, nominate this time around. Dawn, you want to start? All right. So I think my headliner of the week are going to be our neighboring states. Because a lot of times, nobody really cares about our neighbors. We joke about how South Carolina is so much worse than North Carolina, because obviously we're the best Carolina Virginia, North Carolina, sometimes maybe every now and then you forget we touch, you know, Tennessee and Georgia, but then you're like, oh, wait, what are they doing? And can this affect us? And so all of a sudden we're paying attention or politicians anyway are um, paying attention to who our direct border neighbors are. So I'm going to say uh, the he my headliner of the week is our neighboring states. Um, I think my headline of the week this week, um, though, maybe could have been a headline in previous weeks also, um, would be Durham and its awesome data portal and dashboard and really great 
ways of looking at COVID data. So yeah. All right. I might have to vote for Lucille's pick and not my own because y'all know how much I love Durham. <laughs> Danielle, what do you have? I'm going to say all of the very lovely senators that called me back this week because I called all 50 thinking I'd get three or four and I did get a lot. So I appreciate them. They're great. That's my headliner of the week. I'm going in a traditional um, plant animal fashion from last week to the Liberty Llama, who uh, was apparently named Reapy Cheap, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, and was a figure at the latest uh, reopen protest the other day. Um, one of our uh, colleagues, Josh Schaefer, tweeted out a photo of the llama uh, wearing a, what appears to be an American flag hat and American flag saddle or coat or of some sort, um, apparently in support of the reopen movement. Uh, we're pretty sure we've seen this llama before around the legislative building, uh, most recently promoting the conventions of the states uh, bill that would have caused, uh, called for a constitutional convention to reevaluate parts of the U.S. Constitution. So for uh, being a very uh, unique uh, activist and, and lobbyist down in, in downtown Raleigh and around the legislative building, I'm picking the Liberty Llama as, as my choice this week. Liberty Llama lobbyist. <laughs> All right, so we'll tweet out our uh, our headliner of the week candidates at, at Under the Dome um, with a Domecast link, and we'll, we'll retweet it. So make sure you vote of what you think the headliner of the week is. And uh, if you guys were wondering why Will sat out, it's because he was last year, last week's winner, rather. So whichever one of us wins, we'll have the, the candidate next time. So, well, I'm Don Vaughn for Danielle Battaglia, Lucille Sherman, Will Doran, and Colin Campbell. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.